Hey, and welcome to Hypnotize Me, the podcast about hypnosis, transformation, and healing. This is Dr. Elizabeth Bonet, and I'm your host. Disclaimer time! This podcast is not a substitute for mental health treatment, nor should it be. If you need therapy or hypnotherapy, please seek a trained professional. I do hypnosis all over the world, so if you'd like to learn more about me, you can do that at my website, drlizhypnosis.com. That's D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. Now on to our episode. Hi, everyone. This is the last week of the podcast exchange, Spreading the Podcast Love, which I did in February. And this week's podcast is hosted by Shane Burkle, and you can find it at CouplesTherapistCouch.com. It is for couples therapists. Shane has some excellent guests on, very well known. Harriet Lerner was one of them I listened to. He talks about using Gottman interventions, explores all different kinds of couples therapy, and then in between there gives some practice advice as well. Very good podcast in terms of the interviewing and what you'll learn and all the different questions that are asked and answered. So check it out when you give a moment. This week's interview is with Dr. Holly Forrester Miller, who is the president of Medical Hypnosis Consultants and Wellness Consultants International in Durham, North Carolina. And she has been a instructor, professor at Duke University Medical Center for many, many years, like 15 plus years. She's the chair of many, many ASH, American Society of Clinical Hypnosis Committees, has guest edited and contributed to the American Journal of Clinical Hypnosis, And she is the author of the study I reviewed when I did the cancer series. So right before the end of the year, I did one on group therapy for breast cancer, and she actually developed that whole program, not just for breast cancer patients, but for cancer patients in general. So she's going to talk about that today, as well as other stuff. I'm so excited to have her on. So let's jump in. I'm here with Dr. Forrester Miller, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy you're here, and I'm excited to jump into our questions. I know you have so much experience with hypnosis and hypnotherapy, and I'm just really excited to hear your perspective. So let's start with the first question that I ask most of my guests, which is, what was your first experience with hypnosis? Okay, first, thank you for having me, Elizabeth. I'm excited to be here as well. Um, Well, my first experience was in graduate school in 1978, and a professor um, was going to do a demonstration of hypnosis and asked for volunteers, and three of us, including me, went up. And he talked about this experience while we were standing there, and you're at the beach and the waves and this and that. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, my toes are cold, and they feel the water. And that kind of was (laughs) I was hooked in that very moment. It was like, oh, my God. It just freaked me out. I was like, this is the coolest thing. And then it was, um, and that was it. He was. He did that one thing, and that was all he ever did. And um, and he wasn't a very nice professor. We didn't really like him. But that experience was like, I'll remember it forever. So then I started going to anything I could on hypnosis after that. Mm, so then you became trained in it pretty quickly in graduate school? Well, um, 
back then there wasn't many graduate schools that had training stuff going on. Mm -hmm. So what I did was when I would go to conferences and stuff, if there was something on hypnosis, I went to it. What we did learn a lot about was guided imagery, which was interesting because nobody talked about the fact that that really is a form of hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, But we learned a lot about that. And then I learned at conferences. And then my first formal training wasn't until the 80s. But I went like, I mean, I did this two hour workshop here and three hour workshop there. Mm -hmm. And then I worked with a colleague who used hypnosis in 83, who I learned a bunch from and then started actually formally using it with Vietnam vets for post-traumatic stress in 83. Oh, wow. I know there's been various research about hypnosis with PTSD. Can you talk some about that, like your experience well, with it? Or- what's interesting is when I first started using it with PTSD, um, I didn't know of any research on it whatsoever. But we did a lot of work with the vets on what we called back then getting the ghosts out of the closet. So I would have them, I would do self-hypnosis, teach them self-hypnosis so they had control because that's really important for folks with PTSD is that they don't feel like someone is controlling them or attempting to control them. So I taught them that they could Mm -hmm. go in and out of trance on their own and use self-hypnosis and then would do the work in trance. And I had phenomenal results. And then I started working more and more um, over the years with women who'd been raped, women who'd been, you know, molested as children, um, all kinds of different issues, men who've been molested as children. I've worked with, I mean, I've worked with about every kind of situation of PTSD that um, I can imagine. And it it, Mm -hmm. it works fabulously. Um, There's a bunch of research with dissociative disorders and, you know, you know, PTSD being sort of a, a minor case of, as far as the continuum of dissociative disorders, (laughs) you know, it's it's not minor, it's not minor, but on that. It's not minor, yes, there's a sense of spectrum. Right, there's a sense yeah, of dissociative. It's kind of a, a yes. lesser dissociative disorder. And so Cluft has done a lot of research with that. Um, and there's a little known person in West Virginia, Morgantown, West Virginia, that has a clinic there. Um, and it's Lou Tinnin is his name, T-I-N-N-I-N. And he has a clinic um, that he runs in West Virginia. And he's done all kinds of research over the years. He's even got a couple articles in the Ash Journal where he does phenomenal work with PTSD and brings people in mm. to work with them intensively um, over longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. And he has a wonderful way of conceptualizing what's causing the trauma and that it's a loop that's not completed and then how to use hypnosis to complete the loop and then it resolves the Mm. inner conflict or the inner um, angst, the inner whatever way you want to describe that sort of hypervigilance emotion that's happening Um, and it quiets it down and resolves it. So there's lots of kind of neat stuff going on with PTSD. And do you still work with it in your private practice? I do. Um, I don't work with it as much simply because I've gotten such a reputation for doing medical hypnosis. I don't get as many referrals, but um, for that, I get a, mm-hmm. most, I get a lot of referrals for medical hypnosis. Uh, um, but then I also get a lot of referrals for anxiety and depression. So I still have some cases that come in the door with PTSD, and it's um, I find it fascinating and wonderful to work with folks with PTSD. I mean, like, I've worked with people who've, you know, had... I had this one woman who had been raped 20 years ago and uh, had been through therapy and things had sort of quieted down. But then, of course, something would trigger and it would flare back up. And we, mm-hmm. we did three sessions. And in three sessions, she said, oh, my God, I feel the best I felt in 20 years. Yeah. Wow. And that's what I love about hypnosis wow. 
it's so rewarding for you and for the people you're using it with because they get results and they get them pretty quickly for a lot of things. Yes, absolutely. I found the same thing. Like it's very rewarding as a therapist to see that kind of change. Right, because that's why we're here, isn't it? Is to help people. And when you see it so so dramatically, it makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It's very <laughs> it reinforcing, really is. Right? <laughs> you know, I go home saying, that's why I do this. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You feel really mm-hmm. effective. Like, yeah, you've truly helped somebody and they feel so much better and they're continuing their yeah, life and exactly. A I mean, way. and I get calls all the time, especially with the medical hypnosis. That's kind of more short term stuff. And um, people mm-hmm. find out results quickly because if they're going for a procedure and they go and they have no pain, they know that immediately. And so I get emails and calls all the time. I just got an email yesterday from a mother of a nine-year-old boy who I saw the day, two days before saying, and I'll just call him Joe. Oh, Joe loves this new technique. He's so happy. He's doing fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, Aww, you know, and you know sweet. that you've not only impacted this nine-year-old boy, but his entire family. Yes. Not just his family, but the rest of his life. For any procedure he has to right. have done. Well, and, this, and this kid was this kid was a behavioral kind of thing. And so the whole family was up in uproars. You know, and in school there would be outbreaks. And so now everybody's life can be calmer because he knows how to be able to be calm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what can you talk about that a little more? I I'm imagining that the parents listening would be like, what did she actually do? Okay. And I know you can't <laughs> That was exactly what you did. Well, but can you go into a little bit more detail about what the process was with him? Right. So um, I, I have a pretty similar process with everybody I work with to start. Okay. It, you know, the first session is pretty similar. So I always do an hour and a half intake, even with, you know, a kid, because mm-hmm. I want to get a really good thorough history. And so in this case, I got lots and lots of history from mom and dad about what happens at home and how it happens. And then I spent a lot of time with um, him and, you know, from his perspective, what happens and what does he want different in his life? We set up this big list of goals. And then the last um, half hour, 35 minutes, 40 minutes, kind of the session, I spend a lot of time teaching about hypnosis and what hypnosis is, Mm -hmm. what trance is and what suggestion is. So the family all understand those terms and, and what we're doing. Um, and then I teach mm-hmm. the child some self-hypnosis. Have them just go into, just find a peaceful, fun place where they can be, whatever it depends. If, they, if they're really hyper and they need to be calm, where they can sort of be calm, yet have fun. You know, mm-hmm. so it sort of depends on what um, what they need, how, how I define this place, right? And then I teach them some self-hypnosis mm-hmm. and ha- talk them through it, record it, have them come out of trance, have them go back again practicing on their own without me talking to them. And then I send them home to practice that for the week. And then this next mm-hmm. session they come back and I send them home with a recording. The next session they come back, we then do very specific work on whatever the, the issues themselves are, whatever, whatever goals we've set. We'll make a recording about that goal. We'll talk about it. And I'll try and build what we do if the person's really into computer games, we'll build in dynamics of their favorite computer game as a way to help resolve the issue or, you know, so that's where it gets very mm-hmm. individualized. Yes. So this particular kid was just after the first learning self-hypnosis that I got this message back. So we just had the one session. He just learned the hypnosis really. And already mom is uh-huh. like, Oh my God, Wonderful. 
and this is a little boy, there's some behavior issues. His behavior issues tend to come from being bored because he's, as far as I can tell, pretty brilliant. I mean, like I was just dumbfounded. Mm -hmm. it, you know? He did some research on hypnosis before he came to see me and was telling me about what he'd read. I was just like, wow, <laughs> I'm impressed. That's great. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So once he learned the tool, he found a way that he can entertain himself and keep himself occupied. Because if you think about it, if you're that brilliant and you're sitting in a second grade classroom, you know, that can mm -hmm. be pretty boring. And that, if you're pretty bored, that can lead to all kinds of behaviors that teachers don't like. <laughs> yeah, that totally helps to give, give the listeners a little bit better idea. So I want to switch tracks, though, and I do want to talk about the medical hypnosis that you do. So a lot of people don't even know what that term means. So can you start us off with a, a basic what that term means? Yeah, so basically, it means using hypnosis for medical kinds of situations. And it's not using it in place of medicine, but in conjunction. So to me, it's a true integrative medicine approach, where you, you know, help mm -hmm. people to take the best their mind, body, spirit can work together with what medical science has to offer, put them together, and get your best outcome. So it, and it empowers them to get their own mind body working in the right direction for whatever change they need and um, help to tap into I mean I really I believe that our bodies are really amazing healing machines and and medical hypnosis mm -hmm. helps to tap into that to get that healing machine like back on track or getting in a different direction if that's what's needed. So are they coming to you for various medical problems or they're going in for surgery? They can. So um, it's a pretty wide range, and I have mm -hmm. quite a range of docs that refer to me. So everywhere from pediatric functional docs to cancer surgeons and, you know, chemotherapy people. So um, I'll help, like, for example, I might help either a child or even an adult or adolescent, any age, with IBS, which there's fabulous research that shows how hypnosis actually can cure IBS. Yes. Um, and medical world, all they can do is manage it. So it's nice to be able to actually find a cure. So I'll work with things like that, uh, migraines, chronic daily headaches, stomach aches. You know, these are all kind of kid things, but also adults. And then I'll do a, I do a lot, a lot of work with um, cancer patients. And I may be preparing them for surgery or helping them to um, minimize the side effects of chemo or minimize the side effects of radiation. Mm -hmm. Um I have a wonderful mm -hmm. article that you actually were uh, wonderful enough to do a podcast about on self-hypnosis for cancer patients and how it can really help them improve their quality of life, teaching them to work on so many different yes. issues. So, you know, insomnia, all kinds of gastrointestinal problems, uh, I just you, you name it and we can use hypnosis in some way to help with it. Yes, Absolutely. I loved that article, really, the self-hypnosis and how it helps them raise their quality of life so much. So I am curious about when you work with someone with cancer, is that ongoing sessions? Are they coming in for a session or two to learn these specific skills and then they're on their way? Like, how does that look for the patient? It can be either or both. So it sort of depends okay. on what they want or what they need. Mm -hmm. So I also run groups, which is what the article is about. So I run groups for cancer patients. So for the groups, it's four weeks, one, one and a half hours, once a week for four weeks, and then a half hour individual session to make a specialized recording. Um, 
So if individuals mm-hmm. come in, they might say, oh, I'm having surgery and I'm worried about it. And so-and-so suggested I should talk to you. So depending on when their surgery is, if I have time, I'll do that intake and have them practice the skills and then make the recording the mm-hmm. second session. Sometimes people, you know, are getting ready for chemo or surgery and it's starting in two days and we just do everything all in one big session. You know, mm-hmm. so it sort of really depends where they are in their process and what they want. And then some people I've seen, I help them all the way through the treatment. I mean, I've had some people that have sort of stayed on with me for a year coming, you know, maybe like every couple of weeks or so to check in and talk about where they are and learn to use hypnosis for something else or just have a place to process their uh, emotional issues around having cancer, which there's a lot of emotional issues around having cancer. So what you're talking about is what I call hypnotherapy, which is this combination of hypnosis and therapy, meaning we don't do hypnosis every single session. Sometimes we talk about what's going on and handling the feelings and processing the life changes. And then hypnosis happens off and on in between there. Is that what you mean by a a client who's ongoing? Well, yes and no, because I call everything I do hypnotherapy. So even if a person... Yeah, so even if a person comes in for one session, I call it hypnotherapy. So I think it's just a little bit different way of defining things because I never have them uh-huh. walk in the door and we spend the whole time doing hypnosis. If someone comes in for an hour and a half appointment, we're usually only doing hypnosis for 15 or 20 minutes of it. And that other yes, time, true, and, that, true. and that other time, there's therapy stuff happening. I'm constantly using hypnotic language. I'm constantly reframing. I'm constantly supporting them as they're talking about their journeys. So there's really therapy constantly going on. It's sort of more whether mm-hmm. you know how much somebody decides they need. You know, do they say, "Oh, can I keep coming back? This is helpful to talk to you," or "Oh, thank you, I've got what I need." And I leave that open to them. I'll say, gee, mm-hmm. you know, how, are you in a good spot right now? Do you want to come back? Oh, you know, you think you have what you need or do you want to call later? So I I just totally leave it up to them. And some people would lo- just want to keep coming in because they find it helpful. And others say, mm-hmm. I got it. And if I need you, I'll call. Thanks. And, you know, they might call later or not. And it's, you know, it's, I, I have it set up that it's pretty open to how they feel what they need. And, um, mm-hmm. and even... Even when I'm doing that supportive kinds of work, we still may use hypnosis. Yeah, I do a similar thing. Like, did you want to schedule again or do you feel like you have what you need today? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it is is a really nice opening and it it does differ sometimes from other therapists. I mean, depending on what they're coming in for, obviously, but sometimes the assumption is you're going to see this therapist for a long time. Yeah. And I don't ever really assume that. It's like, let's see what our work is here. And then we check in with where you exactly. are. Exactly. And, and what's really interesting is I've had people come in and come once or twice and then not come back and leave a message to cancel. And then I've never heard back from them. And I thought, oh, well, maybe this wasn't for them or maybe this wasn't very helpful. And then I'll hear back from them two or three years later saying, oh, yeah, no, I'm just calling to see if you work with such and such because I have this friend and you were so helpful to me. So... I wanted to know if you'd be able to work with them. And I find out this is back because one session was all they needed, which always, I'm always surprised. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, great. Yes. How wonderful. They got everything they needed yes. in one, one or two sessions. So true, true. I, it's just a different way of working than just regular general counseling or psychotherapy. It's a different set of assumptions. Yes, I agree. 
that you work with. True. You're assuming that change will happen pretty quickly. Right. And I find that I think, and even as a counselor, I think I did this, but I think I give more credence to the client knowing what they need than maybe in other forms of psychotherapy they might. Yeah, I think that is emphasized in most of the hypnosis trainings I go to. Like I pretty regularly attend the Florida Society of Clinical Hypnosis, the twice annual workshops and I pick up other workshops that I do too on hypnosis and it's almost always the assumption that the client knows what they need and will communicate that to you in, in some in way, shape, ways. or form. Right. Because it's not always yes. clear. Here's what I need. But if you're listening, they tell you what they need. And part of the job is to listen with that creative ear that hears things a little different. Absolutely. Yes. It's not always that they know consciously, but once once they begin to talk and you are the listener and listening very, very closely, I, I said one time to my daughter, she was asking some questions about what I do and how I work. And I said, actually, my whole job is to listen in exquisite detail to somebody. Like, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's my job. Right. <laughs> yes. And to really, really hear them and what they're saying. And then my job is to reflect some of that back to them. And, and sometimes it's that reflection that raises someone's awareness and they say, oh, yes, you know, that that is what I'm looking for, this or that, or where you have a conversation about it. So, yeah, I agree with you. They, they always communicate in some mm -hmm. form what they need. Yeah. They do know that. We do know that as human beings. And the way I define it is that my job is to help them find their answer. Mm -hmm. And it's their answer. Yes. Not, not the answer I think they need. <laughs> yes. Yeah, what they need. So I'm going to jump back for a minute to the cancer groups because I did have a couple of questions about that. Do you run these groups in your office or is it in a hospital setting? Because um, I know the article, I think it was a hospital. Well, it's been both over the years. So I had, a, I had a foundation okay. for a while, and we ran the groups out of my office for that. When um, a hospital brings me in, I do it on site for them, because that's easiest usually for their patients to be able to come right there. I'm actually, right now, it's been, many of the hospitals around me are quite large organizations, and just scheduling mm -hmm. something sometimes takes much longer than I would like it to. Just being the vehicle mm -hmm. of massive organizations, you know? Yes, like all the different channels. Exactly. To go Just through. to get a date to schedule a room, you know. And so mm -hmm. we're going back to starting to look more at doing more of them in my office again, just because um, it's easier. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and one of the hospitals that I'm working with even said, maybe we should just do these at your office and figure out how we advertise them at our site to get them there because it's just sometimes easier. The path of least resistance in terms yes. of scheduling and room availability and but that hospital is then seeing the effectiveness of it i'm imagining like they're asking you like this is effective for a client so please continue to do it but we just got to work out the details exactly. here oh exactly i get calls from like nurse navigators at several different local hospitals when's your next group our patients are asking mm -hmm. so the patients talk and they talk to each other I have it set up that even if I'm doing the work with one at one hospital, I have them agree that if there's space in the group, if it doesn't fill, that patients from other 
receiving services from other places can come and they're totally okay with that. You know, if they're, if their people are, oh, their people are first, but then if there's spaces left that they'll take people from other treatment centers as well. And that's part of my sort of philosophical thing is we don't run a group with 10 people when there could be 12, if there's people out there who want it, and they just don't happen to be going to your services. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the hospitals yeah, agree. Wonderful. Yeah. The hospitals agree to that. So it, it's a wonderful journey. Yeah. It's very empowering to cancer patients. And I've actually been running these mm-hmm. groups. I've been running them since I think the first one was in 2003 or maybe late 2002. So it's been a while. Wow. So like 15 years yeah. or so. Yeah, it's a long time. It is a long time. And it's um, it's just as exciting as it was the first day. Wow, that's saying something. Yeah. <laughs> like to run a group that long and... To, I'm imagining, though, that that's just as exciting because you see the help that it brings to the patients, like well, the benefit. Exactly. I mean, and there's it's just to see them come back from trance and say, oh, wow, that was so calm. I was so calm. I can't believe now I can go to treatment and be calm. I know, I you know, and uh, to come back after the, you know, second or third session and say, oh, I slept this week. I hadn't been sleeping or, you know, I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just like covering yourself and wrapping yourself in this warm cozy blanket when they come back and you see them being helped and you see them feeling good and feeling like they have some control over their own world Mm -hmm. and then some of the results are absolutely phenomenal do we have time for me to tell you about my favorite case ever yeah absolutely okay Mm -hmm. so in one of the groups and this is my favorite case and i've been doing some talks um for cancer groups, cancer docs have been bringing me in for some of their international conferences to talk about this because um, they're so excited about the results from the study. And so one of the things I do when I do that talk is at the end, um, even though the study was about breast cancer patients, the groups I run now are open for everybody, all cancer patients. And so I tell them the, um, the, mm-hmm. this case, the case of Tom, and that Tom has given me permission to use his name. And um, Tom is an unusual case because he had the exact same cancer twice and not a recurrence, but a new version of the same cancer. So he had lung cancer and in 2014, he had a resection of the upper outside lobe um, of his right lung and they had to remove a tumor. And then in 2015, he had the identical type of tumor, almost identical size in the upper outside of the left lobe, which is really wow. unusual. So he had surgery and treatment and everything for the first one. Then he met me and he took one of our groups and he went to the group for one session. He went on a, uh, it was a Monday night. He went for the first session and his surgery was, I mean, it was a Tuesday night. His surgery was the next Monday. And mm-hmm. so we scheduled his half hour session that same night. We just did it because he was going to be going in for surgery soon. So he learned self-hypnosis. We did his half-hour recording of all the outcomes he was concerned about, and he had surgery six days later. He th- missed the second week of the group. He had surgery Monday. He missed the Tuesday night group. But he walked into the next week like as if he, nothing had ever happened. Perfectly mm-hmm. comfortable, moving like he'd never had any kind of surgery. And um, he apologized for missing the week before. He said he got discharged the very next day and wanted to come to the group. But by the time they got all the discharge papers and everything done, he finally left the hospital. 
it was only about 15 minutes before the group was starting and he'd been waiting so long. He just wanted to go home at that point. But his first surgery, he spent a day in intensive care, surgical intensive care. Then three more days after that in the hospital, he was on a morphine pump the whole time. And even with the morphine pump, Mm -hmm. he was in pain. When they took the drain out, he said it just hurt like he couldn't believe, even with all the meds he was on. Yeah. The second surgery, he never went to intensive care. He went home the very next day. He was never on a morphine pump. When he got home, he didn't even take any opiates or any kind of painkillers. Yeah. Wow. And, and when he was the first surgery, when he would get up and down, he'd have to hold his side because it hurt so bad, you know, even on, even on drugs. Uh-huh. The second one, he'd get up and down. It didn't hurt at all. And when they took the drain out, um, for the second surgery, he said it was just, he felt the little tug and that was that. Oh my gosh. I just had a friend who went through in the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. went through this and she said, taking that drain out, she had to have it done twice because they had to put it back in. She says the most excruciating pain she's right. ever been in well, on all kinds right, of painkillers. <laughs> like the painkillers exactly, didn't even touch and that's the what pain. he said about the first time. So, so, so the part that's so uh-huh. nice about this case, though, is that, you know, if I had worked with Tom and he hadn't had the first experience, people might say, oh, well, you know, you don't know. It would have been could have been the same without hypnosis. Well, with Tom, we know what right. it was like without hypnosis. We also know that yes. he went into the second surgery dreading it and with a negative expectancy and still had these incredible outcomes. Yes. They right. Really and he also incredible. had his wife took pictures of both incision spots that like in the powerpoints for the conferences i show these pictures of the incisions the older scar from the first surgery is still raised and very red the one from the Mm -hmm. surgery that was a year later is flat and faded in spots it's like dots of dark skin and then it's nothing and then it's like i mean it's like just almost totally disappearing so same same surgeon same surgical team surgeon okay same same exact (laughs) Uh surgery just on the opposite lung so, wow. Right. So really the mixture, I'm hoping to, he's trying to get the anesthesiology reports and stuff. And I think we might write a journal article about it if I can get those reports. Um, because it's, mm-hmm. it, you don't get a control like that often. Yeah. You and it was also, right. it was also a blind yeah. to the surgeon because the surgeon didn't know he did the hypnosis for the second one. Oh, fascinating. That right. makes it even stronger. Yeah. The case. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, yeah. he couldn't be blind to Tom. I mean, he had to know he was doing it. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right. You can't have a double blind in this kind of a situation. But anyway, so yeah, right. so that's my favorite case. And that was from the group. And that was from just having gone for one session and this half hour. Okay. And the half hour, um, just to remind listeners, I'm going to put the link to that episode in the show notes so that you can easily find it. But to remind the listeners, that half hour is where Holly customizes the suggestions for the hypnosis. So it's really about the goals of the individual patient. Like what are exactly. their goals? And we make a recording of it for them. Mm-hmm. And then they take it home and listen Well, actually, I email it. it to them so they have it. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, right. That's yeah, what yeah. I mean. It's amazing nowadays with technology, isn't it? It is. It makes it so easy to, to send people home with files. You know, send people home, quote unquote. I do the same thing. I email them a exactly. link to the file. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I don't know. Do you uh, how many listeners you have that are hypnosis practitioners? I imagine you have some. Oh yeah, I think a good percentage. Are oh, was good. So the exciting news is that um, I run workshops regularly through my company, through Medical Hypnosis um, Consultants. And in June, in April, I'll be actually running a workshop training professionals in how to run these groups. Oh, 
wonderful. Is that the Ash Conference in no, Orlando? No, that's at my office. Now, in Ash in Orlando, in Ash in Orlando, I'll be giving a three-hour talk about it. I'll be doing a 20-hour workshop teaching them from start to finish, taking them through the group as if they were a patient and then you know, going through the first hour and a half group and then analyzing it and talking about it and well, how did you do this and why would you do that and then really having them practice doing these half-hour sessions. So just really training them in the skills of how do you do a self-hypnosis class in general. And then we'll be using cancer patients mm-hmm. as the example, but these groups can, I, you know, I had the foundation, we did them for every kind of chronic illness that people invite asked us to do because they can be used mm-hmm. for all serious illnesses. So it'll be basically teaching people how to work with um, using these self-hypnosis classes for any serious illness, but kind of focusing on cancer as the examples because cancer patients have so many different potential symptoms and treatments that covers so much information so and then and then also at alexandria the ash regional in alexandria i'll be doing that same workshop there for the advanced track okay the 20-hour workshop that you're running in your office is in where tell listeners where your office is yeah durham north carolina and um at my Mm -hmm. facebook page for uh, medical hypnosis consultants you put in that way or dr holly forrester miller i think you can get to the page either way i'll i keep that updated with that training information okay wonderful so it's like a a friday to a right sunday? we start midday on friday like twelve thirty, and then we okay. end at like two on sunday so people don't have to miss very much work great right <laughs> that's great what a wonderful right. offering and then so, like i said ash is going to be having a regional in june as well with it Well, thank you so much for sharing that. We are at the end of our time, but it's been a fascinating interview. I appreciate your time so much, and I'd love to have you back on the podcast again. Well, thank you, and I I would be pleased to. It's been wonderful talking with you, and in any way it can help educate the public and other practitioners about all these wonderful possibilities, I'm all for it. Okay, wonderful. Have a wonderful day. truly enjoyed today's episode. Remember that you can get free hypnosis downloads over at my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. I work all over the world doing hypnosis. So if you're interested in working with me, please schedule a free consultation over at my website and we'll see what your goals are and if I can be of service to you in helping you reach them. Finally, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast or tell a friend. That way, more and more people learn about the power of hypnosis. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful week. Peace.